Chapter Eight of Marjorie Dean, High School Freshman by Pauline Lester. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ashley Jane. Chapter Eight Standing by Her Colors. When Marjorie took her seat in the study hall the next morning, Muriel's greeting was as affable as it had been before the disagreement of the previous afternoon. She even went so far as to whisper, Don't take Mignon too seriously. She is really dreadfully hurt over the unkind things Miss Stevens has said of her. Marjorie listened in polite silence to the picture girl's rather lame apology in behalf of her friend. She could think of nothing to say. Muriel had turned about in her seat, her eyes fixed expectantly upon the other girl. But just then came an unexpected interruption. "'Miss Dean!' shrilled Miss Merton's high, querulous voice. "'Who gave you permission to leave school before the regular hour of dismissal yesterday afternoon?' "'I did not,' began the astonished girl. "'Young woman!' "'Do you mean to contradict me?' thundered Miss Merton. Marjorie had now risen to her feet. Her pretty face had turned very white. Her brown eyes gleamed like two angry flames. "'I had no intention of contradicting you, Miss Merton.' Her low, steady tones were full of repressed indignation. "'What I had begun to say—' was that I did not know I was expected to return to the study hall after my last class. In the high school which I attended in B, we went from our last class to our locker rooms. It is, of course, my fault. I should have inquired about it beforehand. The freshman quietly resumed her seat. Every pair of eyes in the room was turned upon Marjorie. Miss Merton, however, had no intention of letting her off so easily. The rules and regulations of another high school do not in the least interest me, Miss Dean, she said with biting sarcasm. It is my business to see that the rules of Sanford High School are enforced, and I propose to do it. You have been a pupil in this school for only one day, yet I have been obliged to reprimand you on two different occasions. If you annoy me further, I shall consider myself fully justified in sending you to Miss Archer. The ringing of the first recitation bell put an end to the little scene. Marjorie rose from her seat and marched from the study hall, her head held high. If Miss Merton expected her to break down and cry, she would find herself sadly mistaken. Muriel overtook her in the corridor. "'My, but Miss Merton hates you,' she commented cheerfully, as though enjoying her classmate's discomfiture. Marjorie made no reply. Her proud spirit was too deeply crushed for words. She went through her recitation in English that morning like one in a dream. Several times during her French hour she gazed appealingly at Constance but the merry girl kept her fair head turned resolutely away. She did not appear at her locker either at noon or after school was over, although Marjorie lingered in the hope that she would come. 
So successfully did she manage to steer clear of Marjorie, who was too proud to make advances in the face of Constance's marked avoidance, that when Friday came and the afternoon session was over, Marjorie was escorted to the gymnasium by the picture girl and her friends, who, even to Mignon, believed that the newcomer had been wise and taken their brusque advice. At least half of the freshman class had elected to try for a place on the team. Miss Randall, the instructor in gymnastics, and several seniors had been chosen to pick the team, and when the six girls arrived on the scene, the testing had begun. Mignon LaSalle was the first of their group to play. Her almost marvellous agility, her quick cat-like springs, and her fleetness of foot called forth unstinted praise from Marjorie. Muriel, too, played a skilful game. So did Susan Atwell. When Marjorie was called upon to play left guard on a team composed of the last lot of aspirants for basketball honours, she advanced to her position rather nervously. Muriel, Mignon, Susan Atwell and two freshmen, whom she did not know, were to oppose her. She wondered if she could play fast enough to keep up with her clever opponents. Then, as she caught the French girl's elfish eyes fixed upon her, mocking incredulity in their depths, she rallied her doubting spirit and resolved to outplay even Mignon. Fifteen minutes later, Marjorie Dean had been chosen to play left guard on a team of which Mignon was centre, Muriel right guard, Susan Atwell right forward, and a freshman named Harriet Delaney left forward. Muriel had also been made captain, and several girls were chosen as substitutes. "'Hurrah for the new team!' cried Muriel Harding. "'Let's call ourselves the Invincibles. You certainly can play basketball, Miss Dean. How lucky in you to come to Sanford just when we need you. By the way, Miss Dean is too formal. Please let us call you Marjorie.' You can call us by our first names. What's the use of so much formality among teammates? Being merely a very human young girl, Marjorie could not help feeling a little bit pleased with herself. She was glad she had played so well. She felt that she had really begun to like her new associates very much. Even Mignon must have her good points. And how wonderfully well she played basketball! Perhaps Constance Stevens had been just a little bit at fault. Certainly she had acted very queerly after that first day when they had pledged their friendship. Had she, Marjorie, been wise to avow unswerving loyalty to a stranger, and all because she looked like Mary Raymond? Marjorie's disquieting reflections were interrupted by something the French girl was saying. It was too funny for anything, wasn't it, Muriel? Mignon laughed with gleeful malice. Yes, nodded Muriel. We gave the sophomores a bad scare. What did you do? asked Irma Linton curiously. Seeing that she had the attention of her audience, the French girl began. You remember the practice game we played against the sophomores last week? According to my way of thinking, the sophomores played a very rough game, 
I complained to Miss Seymour, their captain. She laughed at me. Mignon scowled at the remembrance. So I decided to teach her a lesson. I told Muriel about it, and between us we made up a dialogue. It was all about the sophomores' unfair playing and how surprised they would be when they found themselves forbidden to play basketball. Then we managed to walk out of school behind two girls that always tell everything they know and recited our dialogue. The next morning Muriel saw one of the girls talking to Miss Seymour for all she was worth, so we know that she faithfully repeated everything she heard. Miss Seymour wouldn't dare go to Miss Archer with it for fear Miss Archer would ask too many questions. You know Miss Archer said last year when Inez Chester made such a fuss about her sprained wrist that if ever again one team reported another for rough playing she would disband the accused team and have Miss Randall select a new one. So I imagine we gave our friends the softs something to think about. "'But who told you the sophomores would be forbidden to play?' demanded candid Jerry. "'No one told us, silly,' retorted Muriel, her colour rising. "'We simply said that they would be surprised when they found themselves forbidden to play. "'When may mean next week or next month or next year or century or any other time. "'We were only talking for their general edification.' Then nobody actually said a word about it, persisted Jerry. You just made up all that stuff. It didn't do any hurt, began Muriel. We thought... Don't be such a prig, Jerry, put in Mignon impatiently. It isn't half so wicked to play a joke on those stupid sophomores as it is to ask one's mother for money for a fountain pen and then use the money for candy and ice cream. There was a chorus of giggles from the girls, in which Jerry did not join. She was eyeing Mignon steadily. "'See here, Mignon,' she said with offended dignity. "'I just want you to know that I told my mother about that money that very same night. "'I may have my faults, but I certainly don't tell things that aren't true.' Jerry punctuated this pertinent speech with emphatic nods of her head and, having said her say, walked on a little ahead of her friends, the picture of belligerence. "'Now you've made Jerry angry, Mignon,' laughed Susan Atwell. Mignon merely lifted her thin shoulders. "'I can't please everyone. If I did, I should never please myself. "'I don't know what ails Jerry all of a sudden,' commented Muriel to Marjorie. She isn't usually so... so funny. Again Marjorie kept her own counsel. She alone knew that the object of the rumour which Muriel and Mignon had started had failed. Ellen Seymour had gone frankly to headquarters with it, and Miss Archer had asked no questions. Marjorie wondered what these girls would say if they knew the truth. She did not like to criticise them, but were they truly honourable? For a moment she wished she had refused to play on the team with them. Muriel and Mignon in particular seemed so careless of other people's feelings. Her sympathies were with Jerry, and quickening her pace she slipped her arm through that of the fat girl, saying, 
Don't you think tomorrow's algebra lesson is hard? Jerry viewed her companion's smiling face rather sulkily. Then, succumbing to the other's charm, she said in a mollified tone, Of course it's hard. They're all hard. I know I shall never pass in algebra. Oh, yes, you will, was Marjorie's cheerful assurance. It's my hardest study, too, but I'm going to pass my final examination in it. I've simply made up my mind that I must do it. Then I'll make up my mind to pass, too, announced Jerry, inspired by Marjorie's determined tones. And, say, it would be splendid if we could do our lessons together sometimes. My mother likes me to bring my school friends home. So does mine, returned Marjorie cordially. She says home is the place for me to entertain my schoolmates. I hope you will come to see me soon. It's your turn first, you know. Oh, please pardon me a moment. I must speak to this girl. The cause of this sudden exclamation was a young woman in a well-worn blue suit who was coming across the streets directly ahead of them. Oh, Constance, hailed Marjorie. I have been looking for you. Stop a minute. Marjorie stood waiting for her friend with eager face and outstretched hand. By this time the four other girls had come abreast of the trio and had passed them, Irma Linton being the only one of them who bowed to Constance. Jerry stood behind Marjorie for an instant, then walked on and overtook her chums. "'Please don't stop,' begged Constance, her face expressing the liveliest worry. "'Really, you mustn't try to be friends with me. I wish to take back my part of our compact. You've been chosen to play on the team, and those girls seem to like you. I can't stand in your way, and my friendship won't be worth anything to you, so just let's forget all we said the other day. Marjorie stared hard at the other girl, the pathetic droop of whose lips looked for all the world like Mary's when things went wrong. You don't mean that, and I won't give you up, she said with fine stubbornness. I haven't time to talk about it now. I must catch up with those girls. Wait for me at our locker tomorrow noon, please. Please. With the hasty squeeze of Constance's hand, Marjorie raced up on the street to overtake her companions. They were so busily engaged in discussing her, however, that they did not hear her approach and consequently did not lower their voices. I will not speak to her. I will not play with her on the team she heard Mignon LaSalle sputter angrily. We certainly don't care to bother with her if she's going to take up with all sorts of low people. This loftily from Muriel, who was afraid to cross the French girl. My mother told me never to speak to any of those crazy Stevens persons, added Susan Atwell with a toss of her curly head. I don't care so very much for this Dean girl either. Oh, you make me tired, the whole lot of you, cried Jerry with angry contempt. Marjorie Dean is nicer than all of you put together, and if she likes that little white-faced Stevens girl, then the girl is all right, even if her family were rag-pickers. I'm ashamed of myself for being so silly as to listen to any of Mignon's complaints against her. You can do as you like, 
but if it's a case of being your friend or Marjorie's, then I guess I'd rather be hers. Thank you, Geraldine. Marjorie's quiet voice caused the party to turn, then exchanged sheepish glances. I don't wish you to quarrel over me, she went on. I should like to be friends with all of you, but none of you can choose my friends for me any more than I can choose yours for you. You can't chum with us and be the friend of that Miss Stevens, muttered Mignon. She is my enemy, don't you understand? I am sorry to hear that, returned Marjorie, keeping her temper with difficulty. But she is not mine. I like her. I shall stand up for her and be her friend as long as we go to Sanford High School. I am sorry to seem disagreeable, but I shouldn't feel the least bit true to myself if I were afraid to say what I think. This is my street. Good-bye. Marjorie walked proudly away from the group. An instant and she heard the patter of running feet behind her. "'You can't get rid of us so easily,' panted Geraldine Macy. "'I think you are right, Marjorie,' said Irma Linton, quietly putting out her hand. "'I should like to be your friend.' And the dividing of the sextet of girls was the dividing of the freshman class of Sanford High School. End of chapter 8 Recording by Ashley Jane